That's out. Oh, he's, he's, got, dropped oh, he's, it. he's dropped it. I don't believe it. That's unbelievable. He was throwing it up. He thought he had it. It was a little lollipop. And the man who did so well with the bat has taken his eye off the ball. And the ball has just dribbled out of his fingers. He was about to throw it up. I hate grade cricket. The grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a grade cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the grade cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you call me champ. <laughs> Welcome to the Great Cricketer Podcast on today's show. Australia are out of the World Cup after getting absolutely hammered by England overnight in Birmingham. We'll get behind the boys, not discuss any weaknesses, rip England for not having done anything yet before singing the national anthem and saying the things you want us to say. Martin Tuto Guptal throws the stumps down to run out MS Dhoni and secure back-to-back World Cup finals for the Black Caps. We'll talk Coley's semi-final failures, Kane Williamson's imperious beard, Jadeja's simply amazing innings and Dhoni's failed attempt at red ink. Izzy Westbury joins the show from the UK, presumably to laugh at us for 10 minutes or so. Hashtag AskTJC involves escaping the clutches of the game, seeing Sean Tate in the lift, getting better at cricket and the worst night out you've ever heard. Reminder that remind, remaining tickets for our live show at Birmingham, Leeds and Manchester are also available at greatcricketer.club where we'll be joined by Merv Hughes at Birmingham on August 4th at the Glee Club. Uh, Tim Breslin joins Sam, Dave and I on stage in Leeds at the Wardrobe in August 6th and Manchester at Downs House on August 7th. The very last London tickets for August 12th at Leicester Square Theatre all at greatcricketer.club. My name is Ian Higgins and I'm joined by Dave Edwards in Sydney and Sam Perry in Melbourne. Lads, I woke up to a message this morning at 4.30 a.m. from a mate of mine who said, have some of that. Um, Did any of you have some of that? (laughs) Yeah, morning, he goes. Morning, Dave. Yeah, I had plenty. What a demolition. Uh, Yeah, we'd been semi-predicting that, I guess. Uh, But this was even worse than the predictions. Mm. The the, the teams were, like, evenly matched going into it. England were favourites. Uh, and rightly so, but uh, this was a this was a humiliation, and yeah, like I, I, you know, with respect to Crickviz and their wonderful product Winviz, uh, you know, my personal indication of England looking to win is the amount of UK friends and colleagues sliding into the DM, just popping on in to the DMs, yeah, saying, oh, how about Stoinis? Oh, Maxwell, always, what's going on? Always nice to wake up to that little bit of bants, isn't it? Mm, I mean, the Z before the um. Well, before the tournament, you know, we were all saying that we'd be happy with making the semis. I mean, we were all saying that. It's a tough time. We're not the top side. Getting to the semis would be a good result for Langer and the boys. Obviously, as soon as the competition started, let's just resort to the status quo. We are the greatest team ever. We are a tournament team. We're a team that wins tournaments and will fucking rise to the occasion. Ponting on the balcony just gave us belief. So... This has come as a shock to me, frankly, and I'm devastated. I'm reeling. I'm emotionally tired. I'm physically tired. I blame Faf Duplessis for everything. I um, I feel I feel pretty good. Feel pretty good this morning. Um, well, there's no doubt that you know, from a commercial imperative, this is wonderful for the great cricketer ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, realistically, we'll look back on this in six months' time. We'll think making the semi-final was a decent result. Uh, like that's like Australia have gone into the World Cup semi-final 
um, not knowing what the best team is. There's so much talk about like, oh, I was good that we got we got uh, we got Smith at three. Um, yeah, look, you know, Stoinis, CA hasn't played well for a year. You know, Maxwell doesn't look like he's going to do anything. You know, we've got a couple of good players in the Australian A squad, but, um, mm. you know, we've got Berendorf in there with new ball and, uh, you know, Hazelwood's on the A tour as well. So, you know, I think we just about pieces. It's a fucking World Cup semi-final. You think Australia had like any right to beat England, the best team in the world and has been for four years. It, ridiculous. I mean, like... Yes, we have a birthright. <laughs> yes, birthright. Um... So, it's funny that that's all it came down to, though, wasn't it? That's all we really talked about. I mean, on the eve of the match starting, I was reflecting on Nathan Lyon's comments because I'm a normal person and that's what I do when I'm walking down the street. And he was right when he said, uh, well, this is England's World Cup to lose. And he did yeah. it cheekily. Well, he did it with that kind of weird aggression that he has in the press. But, yeah. like, when you know, it's easy in retrospect, but, like, it kind of is all Australia had <laughs> leading kinda... into that semi final. It was yeah. just like. We'll, we'll win because that's what we do. Uh, it's kind of, it's in this intangible DNA that we have. Did you notice that there were fewer shots of Ponting on the balcony last yep. night? I mean, I'm calling conspiracy on that. But Definitely. he was also sitting next to Usman Kawaja, who was essentially kind of like yanging to his yin mm. with pensiveness mm. that just was throwing me off. You know, the, yeah. the vibes, that, that was... The vibes that was were off, weren't they? Killing all of the barefoot vibes yeah. that they'd created. I mean, uh, in, the, in the last couple you, of days, you mentioned Nathan Lyon. Like he tried to get things going there, but no one really, like everyone, kind of brushed those comments off and really treated them with maturity. <laughs> like I remember, you know, before, you know, Test matches of old, Glenn McGrath used to come out and say, "Look, we are winning five nil." Like every, te- like even ahead of three Test series, like he just would come out. <laughs> And you know, just set the ascendancy with some comments, and everyone would be scared. But no one was scared by Nathan Lyon. And you're right; I did see less of Ponting on the balcony, and that worries me. So far, in the last couple of years, that Nathan Lyon's come out and said stuff aggressively in the press. He said, "We're going to headbutt the line." Sandpaper happened. He said, "It's England World Cup to lose. <laughs> we get absolutely hammered in a World Cup semi-final." <laughs> Not working out fantastically for Nathan. I've never known, uh, never known, like for there to be such a like. Uh, Usman Khawaja, for instance, is such a confidence player. And just looking at him watching on there, he's oh, he just looks so worried. Yeah, he's worried the whole time. And like maybe like he's, maybe he's a confidence watcher. You know, like mm. maybe you just need a couple of boundaries from the boys before he can really get going with his with his watching. But like I just, it just this tournament's just... been great for worried people visible in the sheds. I've really mm. enjoyed that. Mm. I, I don't know about you guys. Did you get I, like one thing that happens obviously when the cricket's on is he you start getting 1,000 texts from people you don't normally talk to mm. wanting views on the cricket. Mm. Um, and, like, I had many people texting in after, because uh, I'm a text line, after both, like, Hanscom and Stoinis got out and saying, probably good that they got out quickly. And you sort of think, like, that's a very depressing idea, isn't it? That, like, two of the top six guys <laughs> carried that. Like, like, in your World Cup semi-final team. Yeah. I bat in the top six for my nation, yeah. Australia, in yeah. a World Cup semi against England at Edgebaston. Like, these stuff dreams are made of. I have beaten all other competitors from <laughs> under six cricket, like, to now, to be in the top six for my country in yeah. a World Cup semi. And, like, I bat like that. Like, that's what I'm offering And up. then you got, like, the other team just going, let's keep this bloke in. Yeah, it, was, it was a real keep this bloke in feel for both of them. Heads dropped uh, when they got out. Oh, that's gallows humour and unfair to both of them. You know, I'm glad we spent so much time no. speculating over whether Stoinis should play or not. Um, bloke had two side strains. Like both his sides were strained 
and he <laughs> was in just terrible form. He just the way he batted just quickly on Stoinis. I'm sure we'll pick apart other players aggressively mm-hmm. and without reason. But he did not pick that wrong and at all. It was like it was the fucking gatting ball to him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a sort of uh like it was a sort of mispick that usually results in a player at training, like the batsman saying, Yeah, yeah, picked it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was wrong on you. Um we were obviously texting overnight um and i'll just repeat what we saw i'll read the whole thing word for word <laughs> just for the courts exactly why, mm. why can i pick the wrong and from the television like i can pick it as soon as he's bowled it and yet marcus steinis who is batting six for australia in a world cup semi-final has just kicked it off middle stump mm. like it, it was it was i mean as you rightly say it was one of those ones where it hits you and people laugh because you haven't like i uh, get laughing but the opposition laughing when you get out is the worst. It doesn't matter if you've got 150 on the board yeah. or it's first ball. It doesn't like if the opposition is laughing when you get out. That is the lowest moment. That's and like Stoinis's body language, like Stoinis is picked in the side because he's got a bit about him. That's yep. that's mm. so much mm. about like what Shane Warren especially says. But like Stoinis has lost all things about him. Yeah, you know, like when he walks to the crease, he's got these like really like blank eyes, yeah. and like and like when he got yeah, out, dead eyes, aren't they? When, when he when he got out, it was like his soul was leaving Mate, his body. He looked like <laughs> he looked like he was crying. I swear, I saw tears welling in his eyes. You know, like me when I got out in the grand final, the other twelve rep game, stumped for a duck as he walked off. He just looked so sad. Like he's re- he's really mastered that. Um, that reluctant, like that Shane Watson kind of trudge yep. <laughs> off the field, just reluctantly, yep. just slumped yeah. body language. It's good. Yeah, it's good. I like. Well, it. he was uh, averaging twelve uh, at a strike rate of seventy-five heading into that mm. game for this tournament. He was going at six and over, <laughs> and he'd only taken a couple of wickets. Yeah. Uh, and um, good around the boys, though. And then that's how he, that's how he finished off. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it, it, it is a hard one though for Australia because if you're going to go all the, you're going to go that far into a tournament with a guy, you know, unless he, we can't stop injured. now. We've come this far. We cannot yeah, stop. Ex- mm. Exactly. But I'm mean, like, if you were the physio, shouldn't we be blaming the physio that like, maybe we, we've declared him fit when like, that was the opportunity to bring in, you know, Josh Hazelwood. Is he like Trump's or, doctor? Or Wade? Yeah. This is the healthiest <laughs> president I've ever seen. <laughs> it's the stone, it's the oil, you know, it's the rig, it's the pipes. Yeah, and well, obviously in Australian society, the worst thing you can do is change your mind publicly. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Never it is honestly the number one flip flop par. So, um, okay. Well, next, uh, I, I think we've already touched on how good Hanscom looked. Um, one of one of the better sixes you'll ever see. Um, I wonder with Glenn Maxwell. You know, uh, one of the biggest moments in his career was the reverse sweep, sweep that he played in, in Asia when he was playing a test match, and that was kind of like he was blacklisted for a number of years. I wonder if, like, this World Cup and his failure to deliver whilst teasing us the entire time might actually do damage in the long term because, like, I, I don't know. It, it's it's difficult to know if he's just been out of form this World Cup or if we've we've just seen like over the course of Maxwell's career, what he can provide and what he can't provide is consistency or any yeah. sort of, you know, ability to face like 60 well, balls in an ODI. Have we just seen too much of him? Like mm. we, it, the, the beauty of Maxwell was that we didn't know what could happen, but he's just been too visible now and we've seen the reality of Maxwell. Like he's normally good for 
12 balls. Well, this this tournament, he's barely faced more than 12 balls in an inning. I think he might have faced 20-odd this time. Mm. I mean, yeah, the, the mystery of Maxwell. If we're not picking him, then, you know, you don't know what he could do. But if you do pick him, then it's all too real, the shit that happens. Mm. Apparently, um, he... Apparently, he was. I heard this only recently that he was one of the people most affected by um, the Phil Hughes tragedy as well, and his batting kind of hasn't been the same since, which is something that we've heard from a lot of batsmen and stuff as well. Not definitely not offering it up as an excuse, uh, particularly sort of five years after the fact, because he's he has scored one day hundreds for Australia and Test hundreds for Australia since then, and whatnot. But like it is, uh, it is really curious that like heading into the World Cup, you just, you know, when, when everyone has their plans sorted out and, like, there's no real break, you know, even in, in bilateral series, you're going to play against international teams who are weakened. Every team puts forward their best players, so every time you're batting, you, you've got four or five bowlers from the opposition who are at the peak of their powers, uh, and they all just bumped him <laughs> the whole time. And it was, like, it was one of those matter-of-time kind of yeah. um, tournaments for him. Just like, oh, just bring on a quick and he'll get out. It was literally like watching him bat was playing secret sound on an FM radio station, just like, when's the bomb going to explode <laughs> kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Mate, exactly. It, like the, the... That's exactly the what I thought he, he goes when I was watching him bat. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, stop, stop. I'll take the $600. Um, with, the, uh, with, with, the way, with, with the way Joffre Archer got out, uh, Joffre Archer got him out, um, the over-exaggeration of like that ball popping was just complete fear of the short ball, like that it was going to come. Like Joff Archer set him up. I don't think Joff Archer's bowled in like 11 out of 10 well this World Cup, but I thought he bowled fucking well last night. It was so good. Um, But like just that fear of like the short ball coming, then just like chipping a ball to cover was like, Oh, Get I don't the know. Out of here. Yeah, exactly. And it's like that can be the end of like an international career. I, I don't know. I, I, I think yeah. there's a universe out there where uh, where Maxwell has been mismanaged and like, you know, he could have been whatever he, you know, he could have been a Joss Butler or yeah. whatever. Um, but like, and there's nothing it's worse just too for far a career gone. and a brand than a perceived fear of the short ball. I mean, we saw what happened to yep. Michael Bevan, like, you know, one of the greatest one day mm. international batsmen, you know, mm. couldn't get a match in a test match because, you know, there was this perception that he, he struggled against the short stuff. It can ruin your brand entirely. Mm. Especially in Australia. Um, well, I mean, firstly, like, obviously ODI cricket as a format is going to die anyway, so mm. um, enjoy the last World Cup, yep. uh, England or New Zealand anyway. But um, so, and, and I think he'll be in the T20 side, uh, so we'll, we'll still see plenty of Maxwell, but... Yeah, it, it crossed my mind as well, he goes, especially if you have such a technical deficiency and it's there for the entire world to see how are you going to be a like a viable entity in any long format, you know, at international level. Mm. And and he's not getting younger. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, it, it really was his kind of tournament. This was his time, Maxwell. And uh, he was worked out, uh, which is brutal isn't it um not much to celebrate from a bowling perspective for australia and that's what this podcast is celebrating the australian uh did we talk about alex carey though just did we oh yeah alex carey because we talked about about one thing that was good yep Mm. yeah well steve smith got 85 but that was that's just that's just him isn't it um alex carey yeah i mean so this last podcast i think we've just got such a great player there for the future i mean he's 28 
Yeah. Um, he's not future, he's now. He's now. But he feels like future because he has such a beautiful face. Yes. He looks young. Yes, looks young. Um, but he's he's now and he he has <laughs> class. I mean, he threw it away. And it precipitated the throw of Love It was the only wicket I thought that uh, where the batsman gave it away. Yeah. But uh, other than that, he, he looked classy. He, he yep. you know, Langer heeded our calls, mm. moved him up to five uh, mm. to, to stem the, the tide of wickets that mm. was coming through. And uh, he just batted so fluently. You know, he goes again, you're correct. I think it's the best left handed cover drive since Hussey. Someone wanted to argue on Twitter that, it, which is down at the moment. Mm. Um, horrific scenes. But, um, Someone will argue that Sean Marsh is better, but nah, Kerry, no. I think. And uh, and yeah, now, now the quote, you know, I see there's a bit of rabble rousing the UK press about there being huge questions over Tim Payne's viability as captain now that Kerry's burst onto the scene. I think it would be greedy of Australia to start looking at Kerry in those terms as a Payne replacement immediately for the Ashes. Like, have we not learned anything about leadership problems in Australian cricket. Like, who would become captain if not Payne? Like, literally two of the guys are not allowed to do it, mm. Smith and Warner. Captain's an important role. Just let Cap- Payne be captain and back Kerry in the top six. He's probably in the top six Australian batsmen equipped to play in England. But the thing about Payne is that he's he's not future. He's now, but Kerry's mm. future. And we're always excited, or more so than, <laughs> you know, about the thing that's going to happen in a few years from now than the thing that we're True. actually dealing with at the moment. Aren't we? I, th- I think I think it's fairly obvious that Ricky Ponting is going to be the captain of the Ashes team uh, when mm. he takes the toss in the first Test match in a couple of weeks' time. Um, Edos, how how satisfied were you to see the gladiatorial aspect of Carey batting with uh, you know bandage around his head and blood blood on the Australian shirt? Yeah, I mean it was it was a heroic image, wasn't it? I mean when the mm. when Joffre Archer bowled that bumper, obviously chief concern was for his teeth. Um, <laughs> first and foremost, the way that he caught the lid, though, like when the oh. when the ball hit his helmet, and mm. he just had the awareness to catch the helmet as it came down, really coolly. Um, oh. Fuck, it was nonchalant. It was nonchalant. Like he won. It was like it happens all the time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck my helmet. My helmet's gone. Oh, helmet's come oh, off. Gross. I'm just catching it. It's been absolutely smashed in the chin yeah. by Joffrey Archer. Oh, quick, grab a helmet. Oh, that was amazing, wasn't it? And then, yeah, they put that massive bandage around his head. I wasn't on Twitter at the time. I can only assume it was just teeming with memes about it. Um, mm. And he kept, like, the blood on his shirt as well. I liked that he didn't change the shirt. Just mm. kept the blood-stained one on. You know, mm. is, that all you, is that all you guys have got? <laughs> he mm. played Aussie rules, though. So, you know, he's oh, tough. Did he? So That's the code where you're not allowed to tackle below the knees or above the chest. You know that one? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think the blood on Kerry shirt actually added to the, uh, the 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 quality of the Australian jersey, and I'm actually relieved that Australia won't be winning the World Cup because that jersey doesn't doesn't deserve to be seen in the annals of history. It should be should one of those um yeah viewer submissions for the next uh, season's jersey. Just yeah. fucking blood spattered all over us because we're emotionally <laughs> and physically hurt. It's a metaphor for Australia's World Cup and how it's ended. Um, not much to celebrate from uh, you know a, a bowling perspective other than Stark got his one wicket to uh, take the most ever wickets in a World Cup. Well done to Mitchell Stark. Uh, went for eight and an over or something. So, um, But that was down to Jason Roy. Jason Roy's amazing batting again at the top of the innings. I mean, he was out of the World Cup. He was out of their squad for a couple of matches. We saw the impact that had. He is a great player at the top of the order, isn't he? Oh, wouldn't you love him? 
In your family, that is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think, well, yeah, it's taken us 19 minutes to even mention England's performance. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so sorry for the Get Around the Boys crew listening to this cast who've tuned in to 20 minutes of dismantling our own country. They're going to hate this. commence saying that England are good. But look at what happened. They they destroyed Australia uh, mm. and they were led by, yeah, Chris Wokes and Joffre Archer. I mean, Adil Rashid Baldwell also, and they were so good in the field. Butler's run out. Oh, Smith. Nutmeg, that was amazing. <laughs> um, and then and then Jason Roy just continued on that party uh, at Edge Baston. He just, he's clean. Mm-hmm. He hit Steve Smith for three, th- three sixes in a row. Mm. The third one uh, nearly went out of the ground. It was one of those ones where, like, you know how big it is because the camera doesn't have the flexibility <laughs> to follow the flight of the ball anymore. Mm, happens too it has quickly. to stop and you just have to follow it. Mm. And it sort of bounced back off the roof. And, uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, I mean, 30, what? They chased it in 32 overs. Yeah. yeah. 200. We needed early wickets, months. didn't we? And it's, you know, just mm. right from the first couple of overs when they were cruising and the ball was being struck so sweetly by two blokes that are just in tremendous form and just knew immediately that this is the end mm. of Australian cricket. But they were better. Forever. I mean, they out, they just outplayed Australia. This, this isn't a rub of the green thing. It's not a wicket thing. Australia even won the toss. I mean, just all the matchups saw England triumph, really, apart from Steve Smith uh, and Alex Carey briefly and David Warner off the first ball of the match. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it, you know, a lot of the wickets were the result of plans. You know, Finch around the front pad. I guess Hanscom was always going to get out. Um, you know, st- I mean, everyone was beaten, really. Mm. And so uh, there, there can be no excuses. But I do think you're right, Dave. Like, I do think in the fullness of time, this will be, well, semi was probably a good result looking back. Mm. And it was probably a good result for what Australia had invested into ODI cricket. And, you know, to be fair, same goes for England who now get a World Cup final on the BBC uh, against a team that they should beat by 640 runs. So just on that, I mean, this also comes down to Australia uh, falling short against South Africa, really, because they would have played against uh, New Zealand in the semi-final, except New Zealand put on a masterful performance mm-hmm. against India. Um, we've spoken way too long about uh, Maxwell's technique um, and we left ourselves a little bit short here because... The, the, probably one of the best matches of the tournament so far was that India-New Zealand game. What a what a just a fantastic game of cricket was for a start. Um, I, I think the world was supporting New Zealand, and you know they'll be they'll have some they'll have a huge following in the in the final as well um, because people liked New Zealand and they liked what they were about. But like when when Guptill threw the stumps down to run out Dhoni, I mean, first of all, great piece of skill. Second of all, hilarious that Dhoni um, didn't. Didn't, didn't get red ink that he was playing for from about 40 overs out. Mm. Um, and India were out of the World Cup. Mm. He got his 50, though. Yes. Yeah, one of those uh, weird 50s where you're out important. while getting mm. it. Yeah. yeah. Did, he, did he raise his bat? That'd be fucking amazing. <laughs> <internally>, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why did this feel so good? It, it, was, it was like it felt really good <laughs> for India to miss out there. Yeah. Mm. I think it looks frighteningly so. It's because the Indian cricket team, you know, and the BCCI in general, they're just so villainous 
aren't they? Mm. They just become the real villains of global cricket. I mean, everyone hates Australia, obviously, because historically speaking, we've been cunts to everyone since winning the Ashes in 1989. <laughs> and this new age shit. I thought you'd say 1889. 18, 1889, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, but and this fucking new age shit isn't fooling anyone. Earthing, mm. give me a break. Come on, you know. <laughs> but I think India are just more hateable now, and that'll only continue. <clears throat> you know, they're going to dominate cricket for the next hundred years as the as the population overtakes China, plus the rise of the middle class. You know, true. They'll be the single world power in cricket unless China gets into cricket, mm. which I very much climate welcome. change is going to create immigration problems yeah that is going to cause a few issues for pitches in different countries in mumbai for sure i just think india is so hateable because like they've set up the entire tournament so india can win it like they start later because of the ipl finish even though every country has um you know players playing the ipl uh you know the 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 tournament structure is set up so like india cannot miss out like they did in 2011 no 2007 or whatever um you know the whole tournament is set up so india can go deep into the tournament Mm -hmm. which sort of makes sense from like a financial perspective because obviously the longer that indian fans are watching the the more money goes into the game but then the more money that goes into the game just goes into the pockets again of the indian (laughs) cricket board so it's a bit it's a weird cycle so that's why people hate India um, but also it's just really satisfying when like Coley gets out LBW then reviews it and then it's still hitting <laughs> and then he's shaking his head when he's walking up the field just uh, it's just uh, it's, oh, it's, that, that's just, that's delicious I would have just loved to have seen what Coley did to his kit bag after getting back to the sheds <laughs> like everyone would have obviously vacated the room immediately yeah. although you know one or yeah. two people would have yeah, remained in there just to watch yeah. and enjoy yeah. and bask in mm. that but you can't just stay in the dressing room for half an hour with your pads on, can you? So he had to get out there and watch India crumble. And that was fantastic as well. You could just fucking tell that he was livid. Mm. All right, well, it is going to be New Zealand and England in the World Cup final there at Lords in a couple of days' time. So let's get Izzy Westbury on the phone to get her take. We've got Izzy Westbury with us. I'm just looking at her Twitter bio here. Lawyer, financial crime and regulation, Telegraph cricket reporter, BBC sport broadcaster. It's a podcast called Sport Inc. as well. Um, and also says her DMs are open. Um, I don't know why I'm saying that in such a rude way. Those all, all those things are quite good. <laughs> um, Izzy, thanks for joining us. And I just uh, can I kick off by asking just how how good and smug does it feel? <laughs> Speechless. Absolutely speech. I mean, the tables have turned, but we're not used to feeling this. I was I was two years old when we last got to a final England and they um, got absolutely annihilated in that. And, and yeah, what are we supposed to feel? You tell us. <laughs> oh, a oh, really superiority and, and just a feeling of exceptionalism that this is always what happens. So, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> um, I mean... I think the the rational head kind of would have picked England to win today, but possibly not by that much. Uh, it was a real demolition, Izzy. Uh, you know, are, are you ready to dream of winning a World Cup just yet? Oh, absolutely. And you talk about a rational head, not if you're Nathan Lyon. My goodness, he's chirping before the, before that semi-final. And then to see him get well, he hit for six off the first ball, it was, oh, it was just oh, poetry in motion. <laughs> That's just Nathan, though. This is what he does. Just oh, yeah. Nathan. He's, isn't he? Sort of, he typifies Australia. He's your, your Bob Hawke, your Mel Gibson, your, your Dave Medner and Don Babin all in one. <laughs> <laughs> Dave <Edna>. a... <laughs> 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 
He's just an off spinner. Like, he's just if, like how how much of Australians living in English people's heads that like the off spinners like getting in the minds. I mean, you know, fair play. They've obviously just absolutely decimated this. But uh, but you know, this is what Nathan does. He just bowls some off spin and he says some stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back down now, boys. Just as you guys had the um, was that a loop of Mitch, loop of Mitchell Stark casting Stokes. I think we're going to have that loop of um, Josh Butler nutmegging Steve Smith oh, now. Yeah. Just, oh, Fraternity. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> that run out was just it's just beautiful. I mean, how does that even work? Mm. Yeah, England uh, are on fire. Tempted to just go straight into the women's ashes now, Izzy, but I won't. Let's just stick with the men, <laughs> men for a second. Uh, you took in the game today in a conference room, didn't you? <laughs> I saw that on on Twitter. I was. Uh, I was- I mean, this World Cup has been um, all about the art of perfecting, um, looking as though you're engaged in extremely serious work uh, behind a computer screen, which mainly involves putting a set of headphones on and then making sure you uh, put the the little mic down by your mouth and then what every mm, 10 minutes or so, just go, oh, yes, yes, I I agree with that. Okay. (laughs) And then carry on. (laughs) You look at the you look at the World Cup as a whole, Izzy. I mean, England have lost three games, uh, actually the same amount that Australia have now lost. So therefore, we're the same. Um, but like you know, England have obviously been amazing <laughs> for four years over the course of ODIs. But then, like you've given us a real scare, especially losing to Sri Lanka, one of the worst teams that cricket has ever seen, not just this World Cup. You know, Pakistan. I mean, that can happen, I guess. Uh, and then you lost to India as well. But like, I mean, I think we really saw the the proper England, I suppose, or the real England stood up last night or today? I saw on Twitter the other day um, a bunch of Pakistani fans said, well, Pakistan beat England and England beat India, so Pakistan are actually the world champions. Which <laughs> <laughs> is, I love that What's rather wonderful actually now is that um, a lot of journalists are coming, uh, all their pieces are coming up from the match report and they're saying, um, they're using this phrase, when many questioned their big game mentality or when many questioned this, and you go, wait a minute, who are those many people questioning them? And it's exactly the same people right now who are writing and saying how absolutely wonderful we always had faith in these boys. About three three years ago, we were saying that we'd lost it. This is the biggest chance of generation. This is, I think somebody said it was, would have been the, the worst England performance ever if we didn't make the semi-final, which, I mean, considering some of the performances by some of these England teams in the past, I think the 1999 mm. Uh, England team they, they got knocked out before the um, the World Cup song was released so I think that's probably a little bit of hyperbole but it's um, it's quite beautiful thing to have everybody eat their hat you see um, does England fear New Zealand I mean there's no there's no doubt that Australia would have smashed New Zealand um, in the semis <laughs> at Lords even though they played brilliantly against India don't get me wrong because we don't fear New Zealand I'm just what, what's England's relationship with New Zealand and, and do you do you fear them? New Zealand's where it all started. It was that was where the uh, the fifty over renaissance happened, where Jason Roy was uh, went out for a, a golden duck, and we realised that that was that he was going to become the the player that we that we see now. Um, <laughs> do we fear England? New Zealand? Come on, look at them. I mean, no one can fear them. You definitely don't fear them. We don't fear them. <laughs> no, that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah, underestimate them. <laughs> <laughs> but surely you boys are going to support them now. New Zealand. Antipathy and brothers. Yeah, that's oh, what happened. Like, you know how, yeah, exactly. <laughs> more, more reason not to fear them. Yeah, exactly. I want to know, is it just from a like a journo perspective over there, you mentioned before that the people who are writing are many questioned England. Uh, like they were 
um, like it was right to question them. Like, is 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 it more important just to like get your predictions right all the time as a journalist and then to maybe just say nothing in case someone does something really good and you can just say, see, I oh, know I never wrote you off. Can we be friends now and have a beer maybe? See, that's the beauty of the Twitter timeline. That you scroll mm. back to it and you go, everybody said something right and something wrong the whole way through. Although the only person I think that's been right all along is, um, is Joffre Archer's Twitter. He's got mm-hmm. some absolute beauty, beautiful mm. tweets. If you scroll back about five years where he's just obviously sitting at home on a couch, probably with a beer in his hand, watching um, various England incarnations sort of cripple under the weight of expectation. And he's got, and people have been retweeting them as, as he's playing yeah. and the World Cup goes on. And they're, they're, um, they're amazingly prophetic, actually. That's so refreshing, the way that he has been tweeting, though, because obviously, you know, he didn't probably expect to be playing for England, I guess, the way that he was tweeting. like You don't tweet like that if you you know that you're going to have a huge public profile at some point in the future, or he should have just well, deleted all his tweets. I was going to say, normally when somebody rises to fame in sort of meteoric uh, fashion, you dig back their Twitter profile and it's sort of sexist and slightly odd comments. So yeah. I think he's doing quite well. well <laughs> when, you, when, you go, um, when you go back to after England lost to Australia, is he? And then from there... You basically needed to win four games to win the World Cup. You need to beat India, uh, New Zealand, uh, then Australia again, and then you'll need to beat New Zealand one more time. I mean, is there is there any sort of satisfaction in having to win four of the hardest games in the World Cup to, to win the thing, or does that not really matter? You actually would have preferred to play Afghanistan in the final. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been class? No. <laughs> um, we do what every good team does and make sure that we're not the bloody favourites going into it. I mean, that that was the beauty of it, coming into the semi-final. I mean, Australia had almost manufactured themselves as, as favourites after, what, a four-year window in which England had beaten them 10 times out of 11, yet still there was this idea <laughs> that Australia would still prevail. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, m- moving on to the women, Izzy, I know you've been covering this oh, yeah. as well. Uh, Australia... <laughs> Australia have a 6-0 lead, two points per um, short-form win, and then they move to the test match format now. Uh, is there any hope that England can salvage something here ahead of the test? Absolutely not. <laughs> I tell you what, you think about, it must have been a humiliating day for Australia watching your blokes. There's nothing more humiliating than becoming... I, was, I became the voice of Cricket Australia... Um, when they, they put their Instagram post of some plummy English accent asking Elise Perry whether she's the greatest all-rounder to ever exist, and then she just laughed in my face. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's probably <laughs> my greatest humiliation. Um, she's also quite cutting, though. She she had some... She had some um, I listened to her. Or she was on your show, wasn't she, a couple of days ago, and she said mm. that the best part of um, annihilating England was seeing England as, as upset as they were. Mm. Oh, Did they get a bit of media in the UK? Do <laughs> pick up on that? Mm. Do you actually no think we, people in the UK listen to your podcast? Mm. Mm. We are media. Yeah. Mm. Um, All right. Um, <laughs> no, that's interesting with Perry. I mean, can, can where, where? I mean, it, the England women's team won the World Cup a couple of years ago, <laughs> and um, now they're, they're getting destroyed in kind of like in a fashion that that is um, like, like you know, well, it's quite bad. <laughs> um, are they are they severely on the decline? Is he? I mean, are you trying to predict where England's men are going to be in two years? Hundred percent. Sincerely, hope not. Two weeks. <laughs> I'm I'm grasping at anything, to be frank. Yeah, I mean, go for it. Um, oh, England's women—they're probably, to be honest, that that win in the World Cup 
in 2017 was um, a little bit of a fluke in a way. They didn't have to play Australia. Um, they probably weren't the best team there. Um, and it was astounding that they won it. But then the problem is, is you've got Australia who are wounded and hurting and, and uh, intent on revenge. And uh, you know how Elisa Healy said, she joked, she had to clarify this. She was joking when she did a Glenn McGrath and said that they were not going to be a woman and not going to lose a single game um, in this Ashes. And I think I'm pretty sure that at some point soon she's going to step out and go, guys, I was deadly serious all along. Mm. Hmm. We're just going to get Nathan Lyon as the spokesperson for both the men's yeah. and the women's team. <laughs> well, they'll have a bit of time now in his hands, won't you? There you go. <laughs> well, this is it, though, is he like in all seriousness? The, the England women have won their World Cup a couple of years back. The men are um, poised to do the same. They're... I believe is agreement that this match will now be shown on the BBC free to wear, and then no, no, Jimmy channel Anderson, four, channel four, channel four. Pardon me. And, yeah, um, I won't say a big distinction. There is a big distinction, and uh, and then you know Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad are waiting in the wings for the Ashes. Uh, like, does it get much better? Will this herald some great renaissance of English cricket? Uh, should England, you know, win the Ashes and then uh, win the World Cup and then the Ashes? I mean, this is just the start of the summer. If you look at the Holly stand at um, Headingley today, it was absolutely rocking every time that, that I think Warner or, um, or Smith touched the ball. Will it herald um, a revolution? I don't know. Um, I think I'm just set pessimistic mode, having seen the disengagement with cricket around this country the last um, few months, and it's supposed mm. to be the greatest, the greatest event um, ever. I think um, England women's football garnered about 12 million viewers in their semi-final loss at the same time that I think England's cricket's men were getting about 550,000. So it's, it's difficult to, to really get teed up for this wave of beautiful cricket um, re-establishment in this country, especially when we're going to play a 16.4 ball, 16.4 over competition next year. But uh, we can, we, I think we have to be, we have to be optimistic. Let's, let's, let's do it. Mm-hmm. All right, Izzy, um, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, I think it's getting quite late over there in the UK, but obviously you weren't going to turn down the opportunity to speak with us after the events of today. Uh, And uh, begrudgingly, we all, on behalf of all of us, we we wish you the best of luck uh, on Sunday, sort of. (laughs) Like hell you do. (laughs) But thank you. Hashtag Ask TGC. Just before we get into the questions this week, um, Ed, I was going to get you to read out one that's just come in live as we're recording this podcast. But before we do, uh, just talk about our live shows for a little bit. Obviously, uh, we've, we've sold out the Australian legs of the tour in Sydney and Melbourne, but Pez, we have uh, an announcement for our Sydney guests anyway, for our, for our Sydney shows. Very happy to report uh, in some you know, serious negotiations that have taken place through the Diamantina Podcast Network. Uh, that for our Sydney live show, um, we are going to be opened by uh, a fledgling podcast called Hello Sport. Tom and Eddie from Hello Sport are going to do a little bit at the top of the show. Um, For those who've listened to Hello Sport, uh, it's cult, it's funny, um, they're top of the podcast heap. And frankly, we got them in because um, you should be nice to people on the way up um, because right. um, if you're not, they'll be cunts yep. to you when you're on the way down, um, which according to many of our reviews, we are. So yep. <laughs> it's um, it's a real pleasure to get Tom and Eddie to open for us. If you are coming to those shows, they're extremely funny, uh, uh, hopefully not too funny, you know, for obvious ego reasons. Uh, but uh, yeah, very pleased to be having them open our show. They're going to be 
very, very good. Uh, look forward to putting that out on the socials and listening to what they've got to say. Again, don't be too funny. Last night I did a tweet from my personal account saying that I want Australia to win this game because I'm from here, um, but also I want to sell tickets to live shows in the UK, so I hope England win because um, I like to be able to afford food and stuff. Um, so, you know, great result for the UK legs of the tour. And, you know, we've already sold out the Australian shows anyway, so there's no harm done there. Um, you know, people might not turn up anymore. They might just scout the tickets. But, uh, but tickets are still available for Birmingham, Leeds and Manchester. I believe there's a handful of tickets left for the first London show on August 12 at Leicester Square Theatre. But um, our dates for all of our tickets uh, across the globe, greatcricketer.club. Um, I think yeah, I've read it out several times that Tim Breslin is going to be joining us for Leeds and Manchester. Fantastic guest to have. Can't wait to get behind Tim, and he in turn will get behind us. Um, Edos, before we get into the uh, the agenda, hashtag RCGCs we put together last night. Uh, one's just coming overnight, and I'll get you to I'll get you to read out uh, you know some of the kind of love that we're getting at the moment. Well, yeah, um, here goes as we mentioned earlier in the show. Twitter has been down, but it, it seems like it's just come back online and. Obviously, notifications for the great cricketer going through the roof. And one's come in from some chirpy um, Twitter user named Jamie Stevens 8 underscore. He says, Great cricketer, just knocked you out of the World Cup. Haven't beaten us in rugby for years. Do you even play football? England are the alpha country. Cheers. Hashtag ask TGC. <laughs> fuck me. You chirpy little fuck. How many pints has that guy had? He's like, he's like, there's like this anger welling up inside him, and he goes, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get some me, I'm gonna get me some Australians online." So I'm, I'm gonna, gonna do. Gonna Twitter's on. Oh, I just want Twitter to uh, get online so I can post this. And, oh, I'm so happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm so upset at how much they've intimated that our country is not the alpha. <laughs> but now that we have won, England are the alpha I can country. Finally prove yes, that your that country, me and my country, your country has proven that over years and years of you know, colonization. <laughs> Um, you are quite alpha. We get it. Um, and yes, we're terrible at rugby union at the moment. We do play football, um, but yeah, you've you've beaten us in a game of cricket, so we are your submissive. Yeah, who are the people out there who have been saying that England shit for ages and ages? I'm going to get them. Get them. Yeah, get them. Uh, all right. Uh, look, I did put a call out a while ago to keep the RCGCs to under fifty thousand words. Um, most of you have been very kind in doing so. There's been one that has been uh, on, on the spreadsheet that I've got uh, for a number of weeks and I thought now was an appropriate time to put it together. So um, so this is an advertisement for long posts again because I honestly can't keep reading 50,000-word scribes. I'm just going to uh, go to the bathroom. Here goes. I'll be back in five cheers. minutes. <laughs> Dear hashtag AskTGC, asks Anonymous. As I write this, it's been 11 years, three months and 10 days since my last grade match. Despite TGC's advice to, to most to just quit cricket, my question is, is it even possible to quit cricket? Sure, you can stop playing, but does that mean you've escaped it? I thought that cricket was this disease that I had caught as a child and then cursed myself of by taking the approach of avoiding the sport, so I cured myself of by taking the approach of avoiding the sport entirely for over a decade and getting on with my life. When I stopped playing grey cricket, I embarked on new pursuits. I learned to sail, regularly went to the beach and enjoyed summers the way they should be. Seven years ago, I moved from Perth to the UK, cutting any temptation to play grey cricket completely. Based in London, I worked on my career, would regularly go skiing during winter, took sailing holidays to the Med and Caribbean. I even met a girl, got married, and we are now awaiting the birth of our first child. It would seem from the outside that I had managed to quit cricket. But despite these steps, I have come to think that cricket is some form of genetic def defect that once triggered will remain within the sufferer until death. 
My theory came about after an experience last winter and the resulting downward spiral. Picture this, I was on a slightly crowded commuter train one dark winter evening heading home from work out of London. Minding my own business, I spotted the bloke on the other side of the carriage who held a new gun and more with him. The glint of the stickers caught my eye, and I immediately started thinking how the logos were so much fancier these days compared to my first bat, a 1985 GM Scoremaster size 5, or even the GM Steve Waugh had played with in his career. I tried not to think about it, but I found I couldn't look away, and then it started. I had this feeling of wanting to go over and strike up a conversation about the bat, to hold it, to give the blade a good look up and down, inspect the grain, breathe in the smell of the willow, chat to the owner about price, weight, shaping preferences and previous bat ownership, then take it, then take it a stance and give it a backlift, feeling its weight in my hands and finally play a shot. As an ex-opener, instinctively the first stroke would be a small step forward and a respectful leave, followed by a perfectly timed drive through a vacant extra cover area before handing the blade back to the owner along with my full assessment. This urge felt strange and uncomfortable and yet familiar all at once. The most worrying part was that this, this was not a daydream formed out of memories of days gone by, nor was it a muscle memory type reaction from hours on a bowling machine. It was a feeling that came from within my skeleton. It somehow felt like it was emanating from my bone marrow, an independent force trying to move its muscles and bones in my body and make my head towards the bat and reenact these cricketing rituals like a moth to a lamp. Fortunately, the bloke stood up and departed the train at the next stop before this feeling got uh, the better of me, though this didn't stop me watching the bat in his hand as he walked down the platform for as far as I could see. For the rest of the trip home, I wondered if he bought matching gloves. As I disembarked the train a few stops later, my heart sank and I realised that I could never banish the scar of cricket completely. From that point on, my interest started to increase. Of course, I had subscribed to the TJC podcast, but then other cricket-related podcasts were being added to my playlist. My Instagram, feeds, my Instagram feed slowly started to fill up with cricket-related memes and accounts. I put the ICC Cricket World Cup app on my phone to follow the matches and the World Cup and with the World Cup looming I even signed up to Sky's dedicated cricket channel for the duration of the tournament with the intent of remaining subscribed for the Ashes afterwards I managed to secure tickets to the West Indies versus South Africa that match was washed out and although I spent a whole day at the ground witnessing only 7.3 overs it didn't upset me that that's just cricket I now streamed the matches live on my mobile phone at work and on my way home via SkyGo app. And so far, I think I've watched significant portions of all matches. On the weekends, if not in front of the TV, I have the radio commentary streamed to the kitchen uh, as I complete other chores. I've even purchased a ticket to go and see three blokes with a cricket podcast doing a live show in London in August. The more I watch... The more cricket I watch, the more I want to watch, having taken such a long break from the sport. I have plenty to catch up on. I didn't watch any of the 2011 or 2015 World Cups, so highlights and documentaries about these tournaments uh, shown while matches are affected by rain are all new to me. I can't seem to get enough. After watching these recent matches, England, Sri Lanka, India, Afghanistan, New Zealand, West Indies, on the edge of my seat, with the hairs in the back of my neck on end, I feel I have fully relapsed into a sorry state of affairs, which I partly enjoy and partly hate. As a result, cricket has once again filled me with self-disappointment. Having done a lot of hard work to cure myself of this disease, yet failing, I feel I have let myself down, which like I would uh, when I would work hard while batting to get into the 30s, 23, and then gift my wicket away to some part-time dibbly-dobbler bowler brought on the middle of the innings. Only this time, there is no one else around uh, who might have scored less than me that I can look down on to help me feel better about myself. Am I alone in this experience or is this some sort of relapse common? Maybe you've had similar correspondence from other listeners. Can I ever rid myself of this thing called cricket? What does a great cricketer think? Curable disease or debilitating disorder only escapable by death? Can you ever really quit cricket? Regards, Anonymous. P.S. Looking forward to seeing the live show in London on the 13 as I ride this cricketing rush. 
Thoughts? Mm. I just missed it. Can you just re it? No. Um, <laughs> oh, Dave genuinely has gone to the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. It's a long question. Um, no, I'm back now. I'm here. Welcome back. Um, I'm here. I don't know if you can ever rid yourself. I mean, look at this. This is Look at, like, the state of me. I'm sitting in a car. Yep. At, I'm sitting in a car at 6.17 a.m. Yep. Um, that literally the uh, the glove box door is open so a microphone can sit on it. Mm. Uh, it's pitch black outside in Melbourne. There's cold air coming through this car <laughs> uh, while I look at some notes <laughs> and, and also questions from randoms I've never heard in my life. Just, again, um, wondering about this game called cricket. Yeah. Uh, you know, we... It's I I don't think it will ever leave me. Um, personally speaking, yeah. this might surprise yeah. you guys. But I don't actually watch much cricket. Um, <laughs> I just watch KO minis and then just base all my opinions on <laughs> twelve minutes of clipped highlights and whatever Warney says on Twitter. But I find that like the less I watch, the more I enjoy my life. So. To answer his question, well, yeah, death is the only option, obviously. But if, if death, if you don't want to die, <laughs> then maybe just cut down a little bit on your your cricket consumption. Firstly, there's no, there's obviously no need to listen to any other cricket podcasts. Mm. I mean, but do you still, even though that you opt for health reasons to not watch cricket, and that's a very rational thing to come to, do you still think that you love cricket, Dave, in any part of you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's weird. It's fucking weird. <laughs> Under like the the Kubler Ross model of the five stages of grief, I mean, Anonymous has mm. gone through all stages: denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, and hope. Like he's literally gone through the full gambit. He's come full circle. And now he's like, like, like hope has returned. He's in stage five of the Kubler Ross model. He's a state like hope is is there. He's like mm. he he has got acceptance, and now there's hope that like. But he's, but he's not, hoping it's to not also this, leave again. Yeah. Those those stages will just continue to cycle around and around. Like he's not going to come out of it at the fifth stage, and you know, there's there's hope on the horizon. Yeah. He's just going to continue back around again. It's just never yeah. ending. Okay, um, Rory Wilson writes in. G'day TGC. Uh, I hope this makes sense. At some point during the heady days of Australia's mid-2000s cricketing golden age, I was in my tweens and on a school holiday break, deep in cricket fandom as Australia dominated all comers. My dad had a business trip to Brisbane and my mum decided her and I should accompany him. My parents chose a suitably upper-middle-class hotel somewhere on the banks of the Brisbane River. On the first day, my dad went off to his work engagement early and left mum and I to our own devices for the day. We started to go down for our all-inclusive full English breakfast at a leisurely 8am, as you do. Going downstairs, we pressed the lift button, and as it arrived at our level, the doors parted to reveal an enormous hulk of a man, perspiring heavily and red-faced. He had with him a very large cricket coffin, which he took up, which took up over half the space inside the lift. He was quite agitated, and as the doors opened, breathlessly exclaimed, "Oh, thank God!" It was Sean Decent Gas Tate. <laughs> I thought it was odd Sean Tate was there, but my poorly formed teenage brain wrote it off as perhaps he was on a sightseeing trip and was hoping to get a decent gabinet in at some point, hence the coffin. <laughs> as the lift descended, Sean mentioned he'd been stuck in the lift for 45 minutes, unable to get out, and in fact, we had rescued him. I think he might have mentioned he was late for breakfast as well. Anyway, after a short lift down with Tatey, we arrived in the dining hall. This was the true shock. A veritable cornucopia of Australia's cricketing gods was there. 
Matthew Hayden was there. Justin Langer was there. Ricky Ponting was there. Jason Gillespie, Brett Lee. I think the rare spin unit, McGill, and the local boy, Andy Bickle, too. Sean Tate was obviously there, which all made sense now. We were staying in the same hotel as the Australian cricket team. Looking back, I suspect it might have been Tate's first call-up, hence his nervousness at being late to his first team breakfast and, consequentially, his high levels of perspiration. The team was sitting a few tables over from us. I mentioned to my mother that Sean Tate was who he was and that a big part of the Australian cricket team was sitting just a few metres away. As a very shy child and being intimidated by the presence of these demigods, I asked my mum if she could take me over to politely ask to meet the team and maybe get a few autographs or photo. I remember this as a very reasonable request to my mother. To my dismay, she flat out refused to even entertain the idea. She said that I'd have to do it myself and she wouldn't help me at all. So I sat a few metres away, paralysed by my tween shyness for a good 20 minutes, as the members of the team slowly filed out to the team bus. I assume you can imagine the levels of agony this would cause in a young boy's mind. So three parts to this RSTGC. Could you confirm if the wild thing remembers the incident with the lift? He showed a lot of gratitude at the time. Subsequently, how much credit can I claim for his successful integration to the last side... Uh, in, into the side and his later 23 wickets at 20.3 in the 07 World Cup. Lastly, and noting this is outside your wheelhouse as a mummy issue rather than daddy issue, how angry should I be today still with my mother as a now 28-year-old? I still have feelings of deep disappointment that I've never brought up with her, that she was unwilling to help me live out what would have been an absolute seminal moment for my young self in meeting my heroes. It would have certainly eclipsed any of my cricketing achievements, that probably being that probably being my highest batting score of 41 for my high school third grade side. Thanks in advance for clearing this one up, lads. Rory. Well, yeah, he has every right to be extremely angry with his mother. That's insane that she didn't... Like, the, maybe she didn't appreciate the missed opportunity there. I mean, like, not only to just meet your cricketing heroes, but, like, that, that team, like, the names he reeled yeah. off there, including Andy Bickle, local hometown hero. I mean, that would have been a real strong handshake, I reckon, Andy Bickle. A lot of very vascular neck mm. as well. You never know what the mum was going through, though, as well. Yeah, you never exactly. know. She's going parenting's hard. You know, you've got a lot of things on mm. your mind. I've actually been mm. trapped in a lift twice over the past few months at my son's daycare <laughs> centre with my 18-month-old son in the lift with me. <laughs> so I can feel for decent gas. It's fucking... It is a massive relief when someone finally comes and opens that door because the emergency mm. call button doesn't do shit. just connects you to some someone in a call centre who can't you know do anything for you you have to just wait for someone some passerby mm. to use the lift so, you know sorry this is just triggering that memory of helplessness <laughs> <laughs> um i mean I, I guess we literally have sean tate's contact details are we going to reach out to him and ask him if he remembers the lift incident i like how everyone's just asking us to just hit up <laughs> yeah, these guys yeah. that have been on our podcast with specific yeah. questions from a decade or longer ago we're basically just become a medium. Like we're a medium. We, we've become John Edwards. <laughs> yeah, just like <laughs> can, yeah. can you speak to my to my deceased yeah. member? Well, we're doing that at our live show. That's, that over. is yeah, true. Should be good. That was going to be a surprise. Um, this um, one, lads, we'll on. keep moving on. Ben uh, Chiarella, dear the grade cricketer, I finally, at the age of thirty-seven, walked away from the game that had tormented me for years. And last season, I spent a blissful summer investing in my life, engaging in exercise that improved my health. I spent quality time with the wife and kids, spent, slept well on a Friday night, not racked with performance anxiety, well, none more so than usual, and basically spent the summer wondering why it had taken me so long to realise there was a blissful life outside a weekend wasted at Gully, dropped e- dropping easy catches, averaging 20-odd low teens, bowling average military mediums and thinking that maybe my best was just around the corner. But alas, a few weeks ago, I spent a Saturday with a few recently fellow retired cricketers enjoying a long lunch and several beverages of the alcoholic variety. 
After a few hours, the conversation changed to how good we used to be as teenagers, reminiscing about the good old days at cricket. Were there really any? And before I knew it, I'd signed beer coaster contract and was talking about pre-season. What the fuck's that? And suddenly I'm going around again and somewhere deep inside, I actually think this season might be different. So my questions are, one, is there any chance my 12-month hiatus has resulted in me being good at cricket? Two, if no, is a beer coaster contract legally binding? Three, if yes, can I have some gloves? Yours truly, Ben. I'm going to use my legal brain here, uh, mm. Ben, and, um, you know, formulation of a contract, several elements of a contract, offer acceptance, um, intention to create a legal relationship, consideration, uh, capacity, uh, mutual consent, legality, and then writing. Um, there's, so there's an offer. There's, there's been acceptance of that offer. I believe there is an intention to create a legal relationship. The consideration, I'm not sure if there's consideration, that's usually money being involved in the contract. Uh, I don't know if you bought someone a beer or something to, to use that as consideration. You can pass it in confidence to something you might be able to get out of uh, because you were drinking at the time, so you could you claim that you weren't clear of mind at the time. There was mutual consent, though, and it is written in writing. So uh, I'd be going under uh, your competence and capacity um, to get out of this because, no, you're not going to be any better. Cricket's like one of the hardest sports to come back from. Like you, Everyone's first preseason net makes you think that you might have actually like lost a lot of brain cells over the winter because you think like like this is actually a really hard sport to like to try and hit a ball like a little round red yeah. thing that gets propelled at you at a very quick pace to hit it with a wooden stick is actually quite hard when you haven't done it for ages so 12 months off is not going to help you out here ben uh, and you need to get out of that situation and contract as best you can it <laughs> just re- just reminds me of that um tweet we did many years ago of, um it's like a, a photo of homer simpson um you know, at work and he's reading a book and the caption by us is like, you know, me coming back at preseason and the book's titled, Am I Disabled? <laughs> you do feel thinking. pretty um, yeah. yeah shit when you're having that first net after a, a bit of time off, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, look, there's there's another question here, but uh, I think we've we've expired uh, our extremely long questions for, for one day. So thank you very much for all those who are writing in. Uh, World Cup final in a couple of days to come. We'll be back for then. Uh, thanks very much, Easy Westbury, for joining us on the phone. Thank you, as ever, for downloading uh, this podcast. And thank you to us for being right that England are the best team at ODI cricket in the world. Cheers. <laughs>